Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is Internet Marketing. So welcome back to the show where we give you the lowdown, the inside information, the word from the experts to help you use the internet as part of your marketing machine. Internet marketing is brought to you by AI Digital at www.ai-digital.com. Now, Google Analytics has grown into quite a handsome beast since we last looked at it all those months ago. It's got some nice new features. So in today's show, Daniel and I take another look to see how it can be integrated into your online marketing. Hello everybody, this is Andrew White and I'm with Daniel Rouse, our resident internet marketing expert. Hello Andy. Daniel, today uh, we're talking about Google Analytics again, aren't we? We are. I thought we'd take a bit of a step back because we mentioned this in the last podcast. Lots of people are using Google Analytics. We had lots of feedback from people saying they're using it, um, but they're scratching the surface with it at the moment because one of the key problems with analytics generally is you get a whole lot of information and it's hard to know what to do with that information. So Google Analytics is a free package, so I just want to talk a little bit about the basics and then talk about some new features and some advanced stuff that people can try out. Now, what can we do, Dan, to, to put people at ease? Because uh, Google Analytics is such a, um, I'm trying to select the correct words here, it's such um, an amazing tool with so many um, bits and bobs and bells and whistles that I think the average person might be slightly overwhelmed when they look at it. Are there any sort of calming words you can give people that are looking at it for the first time? Yeah, completely. I think if you can get some basics out of it, first of all, so choose a few things to measure um, and try and improve on, and then gradually you kind of build your knowledge that way. But it's easy to get overwhelmed and to give up on the whole thing. So a couple of key things I just want to talk about, first of all, just to make sure you're clear where we are. Google Analytics used to be called Urchin, which is something that I've come across a few people get confused about. Google bought Urchin back in 96, um, which is a piece of analytics software. Google bought it not to give it away for a charitable purpose, but so that if you're spending money on pay-per-click advertising and your website is rubbish, you don't just stop advertising. The idea being you improve your website using analytics, so you therefore spend more money on advertising, which means you give more money to Google. So it wasn't a huge uh, kind of moment of charity with Google. The key thing is you set up in Google, you register with Google, you get a little bit of code, you put that piece of code onto every page in your website, and then Google is then able 
to come through and track what's going on and give you lots of reports and lots of stats. But there are a couple of issues you need to be aware of. First of all, if you have cookie blocking set up on your machine, your stats won't get tracked. So for example, if someone's using your website and they have cookie switched off, uh, Google Analytics won't be able to track that and the results won't go through. So this is quite often where you have different analytics packages given different sets of results because they've been tracking things slightly differently. Now, Daniel, when you say cookies turned off, do you mean that the person or the people who are visiting your site, if they've got cookies turned off? Yeah, absolutely. So if somebody visits your website, they've got cookies turned off or they have a device that doesn't allow cookies, the visit probably won't get tracked. And I'm guessing also if they have JavaScript turned off, which an increasing number of people do from a security perspective, because it is a piece of JavaScript in the bottom of the site that kicks the analytics off, isn't it? That's absolutely right. Um, so if you have a mobile device that doesn't actually run JavaScript, again, the visit won't be tracked. Something like an iPhone will actually work because it does do JavaScript, but some devices don't. So cookies and JavaScript can actually mess with your stats a little bit. It's small enough at the moment not to worry about it too much, but just bear in mind with uh, analytics of any type, what we're talking about are broad trends rather than looking at absolutely individual users because the, the stats will be skewed by some data, so it's not all going to be perfect. The other kind of thing that causes a problem is ad filtering software. If you've got software that stops ads from appearing on your page, which increasingly people do, and it tends to be the more technical community that tend to do it, ad filtering software will stop uh, Google Analytics and various other analytics packages from working as well. So you're going to get some good broad data, but it won't be 100% spot on. So don't rely on it for that purpose. So a couple of other key things. I mean, at this first early stage, if you haven't set it up before, what you want to look at, some key reports. First of all, search terms can be quite interesting. Where's your traffic actually coming from and what people are searching on? So you can see what people are finding you for in the search engines. You can find out how many page views you've got, i.e. how many pages have actually been viewed. But this brings us on to a slightly, uh, slightly more complicated issue you need to talk about. You could look at hits, page views, visitors or unique visitors and you'd get slightly different stats that tell you slightly different things. And we just need to understand what we're actually wanting to look at. First of all, hits are essentially a bit futile to look at. Um, you load one web page. If it's got 10 images, it's 11 hits, first of all, for loading that one page. So a hit doesn't tell you a lot. And unfortunately, lots of people that sell advertising have sold their website on the number of hits it gets because it sounds like a nice big number. It's not really what you want. So then you move on to page views. Well, page views are how many times a page has been loaded um, or any, any page has been loaded. So a thousand page views could be the same page being looked at a thousand times. It could be a thousand different pages. So if you had a very bored user that looked at a thousand pages, well, a thousand page views would only actually be one visitor. So that's what we then need to consider visitors. Well, visitors are the people coming to your website and looking at different things, but the same person could visit more than once. So you then move to unique visitors, and that gives you your overall best stat for working out how many people are visiting your website, how many uniques or unique visitors. But again, there is a small problem with this. In the, If we're all coming from the same IP address, it can actually cause a problem because it's quite hard to actually work out if we're from the same company or not. Okay. Sorry about that noise. It's just the pub, which is opposite our office, having their beer delivered. Sorry, Dan, carry on. So after that rude interruption, um, yeah, so unique visitors are really what you want to be tracking, okay? But don't rely on that 100% because you might actually have that data skewed as well. So again, it's general broad trends that we're looking at. So basically, Dan, in summary, hits are a bad thing to look at because they're basically, every time a single file is served to the browser, like an individual image file or a, 
a sort of you know a cascading style sheet that's counted as a hit so you're going to get loads of those they're not really very representative of what's going on what you really want to look at is visits which is a sort of a real human coming to the site and sort of looking around and ideally unique visits because they might come more than once that's completely right. We really want to know the number of people that are coming at the end of the day. Once we've worked that out, we can then look at what they're doing. So we can then look at stats like uh, length of visit. So we can how long they're staying. Uh, we can look at the number of pages they look at when they did visit. So we can see how many pages they're looking at during that period. So then we can start to paint a picture of what's going on with each individual user. From that point, then what we want to start looking at is conversions. And this is when you start getting into analytics in a bit more depth. Um, and you look at conversion tracking. So you can set up conversion tracking in Google Analytics. And what you do is you go to conversion tracking page and it basically says you want to add a conversion. It gives you a bit more code. So you can have uh, multiple different conversion points. And a conversion point could be somebody filling in a contact form, somebody buying a product. It could be somebody downloading something. It could be somebody just visiting a particular page. You put this piece of individual code on that page. And then every time that page is visited, it will track a conversion. Now, for example, if you're putting on a purchase, it would be on the thank you for purchasing page because that's when you know the purchase is completed. Dan, is this a new thing? Because I, I don't remember seeing this in the original um, Google Analytics. In the very uh, original versions of Urchin, um, it wasn't set up in the same way so you can get at it. Um, it's been extended now so you can do more different types of conversions and it's a lot easier to use now. Since they did the last update in terms of the interface, it's become a lot easier to use. So um, it's easy to use and therefore more people are using it, but it's actually what makes it particularly useful because then you can track, okay, how many visitors did I get? from my email campaign, how many of the people from the email went on to actually purchase something. So you can track from source, so search engines, email campaigns, all those different things, you can track through to actually what is bringing you business or is getting people to make contact. Okay, So these are the kind of things we've talked about in the past uh, with Google Analytics. But there's something else I want to talk about. There's a few different subjects. Okay. One of the interesting things that Google has done recently is add something called industry benchmarking. Um, it's in beta at the moment, but what it allows you to do is say, okay, I'm getting this many visits. How does that compare to other people in my industry? It's really useful because the problem was that previously you knew you were getting 10,000 visits a year or a month or a day, but you didn't know if that was any good or not, really. So this allows you to look at other websites and take some general kind of stats the stats are fairly limited, first of all. They seem to have extended over the last few weeks. So have a look at that. Um, industry benchmarking. So have a look at what's going on there. We've also found there's a lot of new things happening in analytics. So one of the websites I mentioned in the last episode was code.google.com. And this has got all the kind of background information and technical stuff in it. If you have a look at code.google.com forward slash APIs, so there's APIS, forward slash analytics, you'll see all the different things that have gone on analytics, but there's a blog in there. There's a release on all the latest industry benchmarking stuff. Um, and there's various other different bits and pieces that are gone on analytics. There's some really good tutorials and things like that in there as well. So again, that's code.google.com forward slash APIs forward slash analytics. Um, and you can really see what's going on and get into the guts of Google a bit more. And it's got really good step-by-step guides for learning about the stuff as well. The other thing that's relatively new, it's been in there for a while now, is Website Optimizer, which is integrated into Google Analytics much, much better now. And what that allows you to do is make changes to your website. So you might have one page with two different titles, 
and allow you to trial both versions of the page and you better see the stats which version of the page works better. So this is traditional A-B testing, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Apart from with this, you can do A-B-C-D-E testing, so you can do multiple versions. Um, and it's so nicely tied into the analytics, it's a lot easier to see what's going on now. It's also tied in really well with AdWords. So if you're doing AdWords uh, pay-per-click advertising, it's tied in really clearly with that. Now, the rule of thumb, and this was actually um, something they've mentioned in the Google blog as well, is for every 100 conversions you get, um, you should try and make one variation to those pages that are involved. So just to explain that a little bit, if your conversion was somebody filling in a contact form, okay, for every 100 of those you get, you should try a different variation of that contact form. So not something tiny, but something reasonably big, like changing the title, changing the number of form kind of entry bits of data you have to fill in. Okay, so for every 100 conversions, you try that. So if you had 300 form contacts filled in in a month, you want to try three different things over that period. It's a good rule of thumb just to start you thinking how much work you need to do on this kind of stuff. And there's a bit more detail, again, in the analytics blog in Google about that kind of stuff as well. Okay, so if you look at the industry benchmarking kind of data, you can look at how well you're doing. You can then start trying to improve that using Website Optimizer. And then you go in and you're looking at the data within Google Analytics itself. You can start to paint some pictures. The problem with that is you then get to the point that you've got all of your users in one place um, in analytics. And it's quite hard to differentiate between your different types of users because you might have two very different audiences, for example, or you might have um, people that come from pay-per-click and people that come from organic search you want to look at differently. Or you might have um, Internet Explorer users versus people that are using Google Chrome you want to look at differently because you know the people using Google Chrome are a bit more technical and so on and so forth. So something you can do is set up uh, filtering um, on Google Analytics, okay? So how you do it is you set up duplicate profiles, and people may not have done this before. So when you go into Google Analytics, you set up a profile and a profile is basically a website. So I want my particular website to be looked at by Google Analytics. I set it up, Google gives me the code and it starts to track that website. If I go in and then set up another profile and I go to add profile, it will then say, do you want an existing website or a new website? Now, generically, we'd always go to new website and you'd set up another website. Well, if you do an existing website, what you can do is set up a profile for a website that's up already. So basically you're just creating another copy of the analytics data for the website that's already set up, okay? But what you can do in your profile settings for that profile is set up something called filters. And filters are really powerful. So you set up your website, you set it up again in analytics, and you're allowed up to 50 profiles in Google Analytics. You can do this multiple times. You set this profile up, and then you start to add some filters. And the filters are pretty flexible, so not on a drop-down menu basis. And you say, I only want to include people that use Internet Explorer, or I only want to include people that have come from pay-per-click, or I want to exclude people that have come from pay-per-click. And you can start looking at the different bits of your data in isolation. So it allows you to look at how has email marketing worked for me in more detail? How has SEO worked for me? You know, What's coming from my natural search versus what's coming from my pay-per-click search? And it makes it a lot easier to compare those different bits of data because one of the problems we always found was that you're trying to look at Google Analytics and compare pay-per-click to natural search to email traffic. But when you look at the... 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Um, the kind of how people are progressing through your website and you look at something called conversion funnels, which literally say people came in here and they ended up here. It's very difficult to do when you've got people coming in from all different directions. So it allows you to take subsets of your data, basically. So you're taking particular types of visitor that do particular types of things and you're looking at those in isolation. And what you might find is that your pay-per-click, you're getting loads of traffic, but it's not converting well for you. Or you might find that email is getting loads of conversions for you and you hadn't realized that it was doing that much business for you. So you spend more money in that area. So it allows you to start making better kind of judgments on, on return on investment with, with what's going on with that kind of thing. I didn't realize that filters could be used in this way because I originally just used filters to uh, block my own IP address. So I wasn't measuring myself visiting my own site. That's a really important point, actually, that um, one of the things you do want to do is filter yourself out of the equation. Um, especially if you're in a reasonable sized company, you might find that if there's 30, 40, 100, 500 people in your business, if they're all visiting your website, it can look like your website's really healthy. It's got good healthy traffic, but for some reason you're not getting any conversions. Well, quite often that's because the fact that it's you and your kind of colleagues visiting your website all the time. Um, if everyone in your business sets your homepage to uh, their starting kind of website address, they launch up Internet Explorer and your website comes up, you'll actually find your bounce rate's really high because everyone hits it and then they go off to Google or they go off to somewhere else to search for something. So that can skew your data hugely. So as Andy said, block your own IP address, um, block your own kind of your, your web address as being someone that's being recorded as accessing your website because it's just going to skew the data. You might find you've got partner businesses you work with that look at your website all day, every day as well, that look at for price lookup guides and things like that. Again, block those from coming through because it will just skew the data. Um, so it's really important with all this stuff to realize there are limitations to analytics. So the data isn't perfect. And just because it says you've got 100 visitors, it won't be exactly 100 visitors. But also to make sure what your behavior isn't skewing the data as well. And then try and use the filters for actually making sure you're looking at individual users or groups of users rather um, as a particular group and understanding what they're doing. And that allows you to paint clearer pictures for then using something like Website Optimizer for making changes to your site and actually improving the conversion rates you're getting. 
So at the end of the day, Dan, it's all about feedback, isn't it? It's about making little tweaks to your internet marketing, measuring how successful those tweaks are, and then making further tweaks. Yeah, you've got to see it as an iterative process. So really, if you've if you've gone through the process, you've done your search optimization, you've tried to get that right, um, you're monitoring that, you've done pay-per-click, so on and so forth, the next natural step is that you're getting all this traffic to your website, but you need to know what's happening to that traffic, and you need to iteratively improve that. Now, surprising as it can sound, just by changing one or two words in the page title can have a huge impact on the amount of people that actually click on a contact form, because they do a search, they land on your page, the page doesn't quite match their expectations, so they move on somewhere else. If you can change that ever so slightly, you end up in a situation where people are staying for longer, they then get the opportunity to realise the quality of the content on your site, assuming you have decent quality content in the first place, um, and then they're more likely to get in contact. So it's it really is just getting people to stay and proving to them the value of your content, which again, as normal, draws us back to the fact that you need good quality content on your website, because without that, all of this stuff's useless. Do you know what I think, Dan? I, I think that, I mean, myself included, a lot of people may not realise just how useful and how valuable this tool is. Just tell us again, it was based on Urchin, wasn't it? How much, in those days, what would you have to pay to, to use Urchin? Um, I'm not sure the actual pricing models for Urchin, but I mean, even now, to get um, a piece of analytics software that's managed and is a, a, one of the bigger companies doing it, you're talking the minimum of about £500 a month up to two, three, four, five thousand pounds a month. Now, the key advantage for those more commercial packages is twofold. One, you'll have an account manager um, that will guide you through this process and do some of the work for you. Um, secondly, they're auditable. So with uh, some of the other packages like Hitbox and Nedstat, uh, which is SiteStat and all those different kind of things, you actually can be audited by ABC in the UK, which will then say, okay, your ABC E audit says you had this many visitors. You can't do that with Google Analytics currently. But if you're not looking to do that, you don't actually need that anyway. Now, the account manager is useful, but that assumes that your account manager is proactive enough to be guiding in the right direction. These other commercial bits of software can do more than Google Analytics in some ways, but a lot of it is beyond what a lot of people are using anyway. So in terms of value, it's hugely valuable because this is something that would be costing thousands and thousands of pounds a year that's now for free and is actually developing and getting better all the time. There's loads of good resources online for actually learning how to use it and you can play around with it. And a lot of people just don't. And it's worth committing a little bit of time because if you consider the fact that you can spend a lot of time and money getting 1% more traffic to your website, but if you could convert 1% more of your traffic that's already there, you can build on that and you can convert 2% into business and 3%. So it's definitely worth looking at this and just seeing how you can improve what's going on, even if it just means more people get in contact and tell you what's wrong with your website. Because any feedback at all is going to be useful for improving conversion rates and getting more business. So there you go, the awesome power of Google Analytics. So Daniel, do you have anything further to say on this topic? No, nope, I think that'll do. I think we can, uh, we can move on to these two emails that we've had come in. Yes, two more emails. Um, one from Alex Shelton. And what does Alex have to say? Um, Alex has been uh, quite bold and has asked for a plug for his website, which is uh, we're always happy to do this kind of thing. Alex had a really good point. Um, Alex is 18. He's based in Norwich in the UK. Um, and he's just opened a forum for 18, 25-year-olds called internetmarketingteens.com. We need to join that then, then Dan, because we're that sort of age, aren't we? Well, absolutely. It's not my birthday tomorrow at all. Um, so, it, yeah, internetmarketingteens.com. 
The idea being that if you are starting to get into internet marketing, if you go to a lot of the current discussion forums, it can be quite intimidating because if you post a question that people deem to be not worthy of their forum, yeah, you can get flamed and you get told off basically asking a silly question that's already been asked before. And uh, it's not always the most helpful and friendly of environments to try and engage with. So this is a really good idea. Um, it's a forum for 18 to 25 year olds that want to ask about getting internet marketing. Um, you might give some guidance to each other. It's only just starting up, so it'd be interesting to see what's going on. But we're more than happy to give that a plug. So go and have a look, internetmarketingteens.com. Um, I'm sure we'll come and join and answer a few questions, even though we're not, not quite in the age range anymore. And uh, I wish Alex all the best with that. Yeah, nice one, Alex. That was a great idea. And um, we had another one, didn't we, from... Now, I hope I'm not um, mispronouncing your name, Jody. Is it Jody Massey? Yep, I think it's Jody Massey or Macy. Um, Jody's actually asked a really interesting question, and we've come up against this problem before. Okay, two questions. Just to say before, uh, before we go into this, uh, Jody is from a website called subscribemanga.com. Um, so have a look at that. Uh, the question is basically, what is statistically the best time to wait between emails to keep in front of the customer without being obnoxious? So basically the, the idea of how often can you email someone without annoying them? It's a kind of a multiple answer to this. So unfortunately, it isn't a completely straightforward answer. First of all, ideally, you should be asking people at the point of subscribing how often they want to receive newsletters. Do they want a weekly, fortnightly, monthly, daily digest? What, what are the options? So give them the option. If you can't do that, statistically speaking, a period between two weeks and four weeks is the ideal kind of timescale for minimizing the amount of unsubscribe requests. So but playing with that three weeks basically. But it will depend very much on your audience. Um, lots of people doing monthly newsletters, they get a kind of standard kind of unsubscribe rate. Um, take it any less than two weeks and you seem to find the unsubscribe rate will start to rocket. So two to four weeks is the safest kind of time. But I would really recommend asking people at the point of subscription. If you've already got subscribers, email them and ask them how often can you contact them. Um, it may not be as often as you like, but again, it's increasing the trusted level of the email they're getting. So therefore, they're more likely to actually respond in the long term. The other question, which is the tricky one, is what do you believe to be the best time to email students of all ages? This is a notoriously difficult one. Because if you're dealing with business people, you know roughly what time of day they're in the office. You know, for example, that if you email them on Monday morning at nine o'clock, they're so busy deleting emails that have come in over the weekend that you're just going to get annihilated very quickly. If you email on a Friday afternoon, if it's work related, people may leave it to a Monday morning. If it's fun related, they're more likely to open it, so on and so forth. The problem with the students is that, um, and this is huge generalizations, please don't take any offense, but you, it's very hard to know what kind of lifestyle pattern they're living. Um, if you're talking about mature students, you will find that generally they will follow the pattern of working a kind of working, a normal working week, nine to five kind of hours. Um, maybe studying in the evening, but they will go in and pick up emails first thing in the morning because they've got used to working. Okay. But uh, your average kind of 18-year-old student isn't picking up emails first thing in the mornings. Either they haven't got any lectures in the mornings, they're not on the computers or in the kind of offices, or they may be in lectures first thing, they won't have logged in first thing. Um, they're probably likely to have two or more email addresses. So they're quite likely to have a Google address or a Hotmail account and so on and so forth. So particular times of day are hard, quite hard to tie down. Um, when we've done testing on this, and we've done quite a lot of testing on international language students, this kind of thing, we found the best times of day for not getting unsubscribed and instantly deleted were between 12 and 4 in the afternoon. So people are going in, checking at lunchtime. Um, if they did check at lunchtime, unfortunately, the first half of the lunchtime, they were deleting emails and the second half they were reading. 
in the afternoon, they were generally in the library studying, so they had a bit more time for losing this kind of thing. So there are so many variables involved in lifestyle. It's quite a tricky one. Um, I'd suggest don't do first thing in the morning. Stick to the basic rules that you use for business. So don't do before nine o'clock so that people start deleting emails when they come in. But um, trial different times of day. And this is what I'd really recommend is every list will be different. So split your list up and try it four different times of the day. Try it, you know, segment the day into four quarters and try sending out at those times. See what gets the best response rate and then drill that down further and try different hours of the day as well. Every list will be different. Students are notoriously mixed group of people um, with very different lifestyles. So it's very hard to pick a particular time. If I had to say one time, I try early afternoon, but I would really recommend you segment the list up and test it. This is really interesting because it's never really occurred to me that the time of day that you send an email could have an influence on how it's received. I suppose it does because it's, well, I suppose, is it the position in the inbox? I suppose it would be, wouldn't it? I suppose if, if it's in the morning, it's going to probably get deleted because everyone's in delete mode on that in the morning. Well, very much. I mean, if you find on a, um, a Monday morning versus a Tuesday morning, Monday mornings people are, uh, as we all know, Monday mornings aren't a lot of fun. So you get into the office and you've got a batch of emails there. You need to get on top of your workload for the week. So what you do is you go through and you just filter out all, all the rubbish, basically. You try and delete what's not important. If something comes in on a Tuesday morning, you aren't quite as likely to delete things, but you will still delete things. If you were to do something, for example, in the know, afternoon, uh, mid-morning, then what happens is the email comes in, you might give it a few seconds of your attention and then decide if it has to be deleted or not. So you are dealing with things slightly differently. The format has a big impact as well, the title, the headings, all those kind of things, but time of day does have its impact. Friday afternoon effect, um, if something comes in that's quite complicated, people think, oh, I'll do that Monday, I'll worry about that next week. Um, if it's fun, Friday afternoon, best time of day to send something, because people notoriously will do as much as possible to try and get out of doing any work on a Friday afternoon as they can, and they like to have a bit of fun. Um, inversely, it will be impacted on by this segment of kind of the vertical sector you're working. So if you're working in recruitment, uh, Monday morning after the initial delete session is actually quite a good time to send things because people come into a Monday and they think, I can't take this job anymore. I need to get a new one. So anything that's about recruitment actually works quite well. So you really need to think about people's psychology and what they're actually doing at that time of day. Um, but that is very much skewed by any list because any list will be made up of a different set of individuals. So therefore, every set of individuals is quite different. You can generalize, but you need to test your list. So don't make assumptions, test different times of the day, test all the different variations in email marketing and just uh, track it through your analytics and see what results you get. Dan, thank you very, very much for your, uh, for your insights and uh, we'll see you all next time. Thank you very much and we look forward to getting some more of your feedback. Well, that's it for this week's show. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed it. Now, we would really like to hear from you. So if you have any questions or comments, send them to info at ai-digital.com and feel free to send in MP3 files as well and we'll play them. If you're a subscriber, we'd like to thank you for your valuable time. If you haven't subscribed yet and you'd like this show delivered to your earbuds automatically, you can find Internet Marketing on iTunes. Just search under the Business and Marketing and Management Categories or you can find us at Feedburner at feeds.feedburner.com slash academyim. We'd also encourage you to leave comments on iTunes. Well, this is Andy White signing off, wishing you the best until we see you next time on Internet Marketing.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.